Morning, everybody. So we are a to this morning. I guess the Cowboys have us. Um, they're they're doing well, so they're playing at noon. So um, hi, all you Cowboys fans. Hope you're watching here and uh, getting ready there for your worship service at twelve. And um, we're going to do. We're, we're today. We're going to act like a live studio audience because we're mostly going to be on the apparently on the camera and online for folks catching up with us a little later on this week. But I'm so glad you all are here, and Kagan's going to come up and give us our official welcome, but we've been starting every Sunday of Advent with a little something special. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm waiting for the drum count. We don't have any mics or anything. Hello, hello, hello. Wait, oh, hello, hello. Mics. There we go. All right. Keys too. Mele Kaliki Maka is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land. Morning, good morning. All right, we've, we've only got a couple of us in here today. I'm going to need a little louder than that. Good morning, good morning. I love it. Thank you so much, and welcome to 1111. My name is Kagan Parker, and it is my honor to be in front of you guys today on our, what is this, our th third, our third Advent Day, which we're very excited about. Our candles are already kind of lit. Uh, we've got a wonderful family today joining us for that. But I just wanted to go ahead and let you guys know that next week is our last 11-11 service. The following week will all be in the main sanctuary. Um, and also, there's a huge tree downstairs. And Mickey has volunteered to take your photo in front of it if you would like. I got my picture taken last week. She's a professional. Um, but it's a really a wonderful little shot for you this holiday. Um, if you'll join me in the welcome candle. This is a great time for you to light your candle if you're joining us at home. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come yet again. All right. Thank you, Kagan. Mm -hmm. 
Good morning, 1111. I want to ask y'all to stand and sing with us. Uh, Elena's going to lead this tune. We have a few special guests up here with us. That's Hillary Tips on the far right, Hannah Kirby right here to my right, and of course, Chris Brown on electric guitar. So a lot of extra special cool people up in here. Uh, we'll sing this song together, and it's a great time to bring your offering on up to the table. All together now. Once again, here we go. Let's sing together again right here. Take a moment and offer one another a sign of peace.
This morning begins the third week of Advent. We light the third candle as a symbol of joy. Not just any simple cheer, but the experience of joy that cannot be contained. Advent asks us to remember the gladness as a gift to the world, even when sorrow and uncertainty abound. May we share gladness through our words, our music, and the way we live our lives. Let the fullness of joy lead to more freedom in the world around us. So um, before this next little segment comes up here, <laughs> I want to just uh, give a little, a little heads up for it. Some of us are big old Mr. Bean fans, and some of us have seen this over the years, but as we were talking this last week, Brad and Kagan and I, we thought, well, this seems the appropriate time to once again bring out the appropriate sort of awkward reverence for the nativity story.
joy, comfort and joy, oh tidings of comfort and joy. In Bethlehem in Israel, the blessed babe was born and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn to that his mother taken scorn oh tidings of comfort and joy comfort and joy oh tidings of comfort and joy The scripture reading is uh, on the screens or on your um, bulletin. I'm going to read from the screen because I can see it. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. When Jesus' mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, an upright person, unwilling to disgrace her, decided to divorce her quietly. This was Joseph's intention when suddenly the angel of God appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, heir to the house of David, don't be afraid to wed Mary. It is by the Holy Spirit that she has conceived this child. She is to have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, salvation, because he will save the people from their sins. All this happened to fulfill what God had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth, and the child will be named Emmanuel, a name that means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of God had directed, and they went ahead with the marriage. He did not have intercourse with her until she had given birth to a son, and they named him Jesus. In the beginning, there was the Word. The Word was in God's presence, and the Word was God. The Word was present to God from the beginning. Through the Word, all things came into being, and apart from the Word, nothing came into being that has come into being. In the Word was life, and that life was humanity's light. A light that shines in the darkness, a light that the darkness has never overtaken.
in this very busy season that gets so crowded with things to do, things to prepare, people to think about, and we have time set aside for quiet, to reflect on the season and what it is bringing and the true message of this time. And so let us quiet ourselves and breathe deeply. And without denying that we have our own personal pains or disappointments or painful memories, without denying that there are needs in this world that can be overwhelming, we still turn our attention to the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness that does not overcome it. And that is our joy. And so remember that there is joy in this time. The joy of friendships and community gathered. The joy of making connections with one another. The joy of beauty in the world around us and in each other. And the joy of knowing that the light shines on us as well as through us. Amen. Cabin door. 
come again no more. Thank you, Ben. And let me give this to you for that for later. So um, I love that I wanted to use this song right beforehand um, because it speaks about what these Advent stories are arising out of. I suppose before I do that, I should make a note because I heard rumor from somebody that when Kagan had mentioned next week was the last Sunday of 11-11, we meant the last Sunday of this year. We're still going to be here in the new year in 2023, but we won't be back here until the 8th. So the first, which happens to be New Year's Day, will also be a Sunday that we won't be having service in here. But if you want, there'll be a singular service happening in the main sanctuary at 11 o'clock. As will be on the 25th, Christmas Day, where I expect you all to show up in your pajamas or however. And uh, Linda and I will, will be uh, in charge of that service, and there'll be some special music and, and, as such. And it will just be one service at 11 o'clock. Very casual over there in the main building. So... Not the last. However, next Sunday, sadly, will be our last Sunday to have Kagan with us. So, yes, yeah, so you make sure you say hello and goodbye to Kagan this week or next week. If you're not here today, come back next week and say goodbye to her. She'll be moving at the end of the month back to um, Maryland where she'll be living with her husband there, and they'll be working there together. He's a professor in, at the university there, and so um, they'll be moving back to Maryland. So we're sad to see Kagan go, and she's been a really... Uh, amazing part of, of this team, of this musical and worship team. So it's going to be hard, but uh, we're sending her off with a lot of good wishes. She'll be joining us online as always too, but uh, we won't have her here with us. So that's all. That The main thing is that we are going to be meeting back again in 2023, but come next week because we have special music with Hillary, um, and I forget Hillary's maid, uh, married name, but Hillary uh, Hummel, our harpist that we haven't had in a while. She'll be joining us next week as well as some other special music, and Kagan will be singing some specials as well. So it's our celebration kind of at the end of the year, winter solstice, pre-Christmas Eve. We kind of do it all up in one service, so I hope you'll be back for that. I know it's a cowboy game, but we'll finish before 12 or by 12, and you can and watch the rest of the cowboy games. They're, and anyway, okay. All right, so what are we talking about? Hard times come again no more. The interesting thing about these nativity stories, of course, is that we get them and we see them with uh, all the, the humor and with the beauty and, of course, the pageantry and even with the children's pageantries and all of the, act, you know, and all the costumes and the beautiful sort of setting, there's always something we hope for. We hope for one of the lamps, you know, heads to kind of be tilted on the costume, we hope for some kind of awkward moment in the, in the whole pageantry to kind of remind us of the lightness of the, of the moment, but also our own humanity. And yet there's also this magical sort of heavenly uh, quality that we give to these stories. And the stories actually arise in real hard times. They, are, they, are, they came about, they were written only in the two Gospels, just to remind you all, they only appear in two out of the four Gospels that we have. In fact, if we look at the other extended Gospels beyond the ones in our Bible, they're also not there as well. Only one Gospel called the Infancy, infancy Gospel of uh, Jesus, and it's weird. But go ahead and look it up if you want to see weird, interesting, crazy stories that you would only see on the, uh, on the Horror Channel. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're just amazing little stories. Anyway, there's no nativity story except in two Gospels. Here's the other thing. They were written after... The diaspora after the fall of the temple in 70 AD. So they're written at least 50 years after Jesus' death. They're written at least uh, 50 to 60 years and 20 years, 10 to 20 years after the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. So Jewish community has scattered. The Jesus followers have now scattered. They're into their second generation and they've scattered. So hard times are certainly present for them at that point. So this writing is speaking to certain communities. So naturally, it speaks to the hard time. So when you hear the angel saying, don't be afraid, when coming to, to, to Zechariah when he was working in the temple, as our first reading was on the first Sunday, or to Mary as she's going about her business last week when we read, when the angels come and say, we got good news for you, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid. And we think it's because they're saying, I'm an angel, don't be afraid. But that's not what they're saying at all. What angels are reminding us is that we live in the midst of scary times all the time. 
We're always in the midst of change, of the anxiety of change, of the possibility of change, of the anxiety of illness or loss. We live in a culture, in a reality, in a society, in a world where there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of people without. Hard times are present in all different ways. The angels aren't saying, you know, look out, I'm just an angel, don't be scared of me. The angels are saying, don't let fear be the thing that drives your life. Because when fear drives our life, nothing good ultimately comes out of that. Even saving our own skin doesn't help in the long run. So these nativity stories, I think, are pointing to a couple of things. First of all, I think they're pointing to this idea of don't let fear define your life. Don't feed the fears. Think about how many times this week you encountered fear. In the smallest ways, like driving, like maybe you were asked to do something you didn't want to do or you weren't a little anxious about it. Maybe you, weren't, you were anxious about not getting something done on the job. Maybe you're a little anxious about your health. Maybe you're worried about what's happening in the world around us and you heard some news there. Maybe you're in, caught up in the political reality of our world that's still going back and forth on either side, divided. Think of how many ways fear defined your life this week. It's kind of our go-to default. You can really see why enlightenment, why spiritual maturity is so hard. Because it challenges every single default we have or that we're conditioned to respond with. So these nativity stories are really about as much that as they are about bringing a savior into the world. Because what is Jesus' whole purpose? What is Jesus trying to do but break down the barriers that we experience between us and the sacred, between us and God, between us and the depth of love at the depth of our being? To reach out to those in need, to, contain, to connect with others in need, to connect with ourselves in need. What else is Jesus about? He comes to address the fear. And of course, as we read in Paul, who wrote more quickly after, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul wrote within the next 10 to 20 years after that, he was already saying things like, perfect love casts out all fear. Because he was understanding this idea that fear doesn't need to drive our lives when we're, when we're ruled by love, when we're kind of guided by love. So that's the first thing I want to do with these stories is to think about that. The second thing is how these stories are happening in the normal place, in the normal routine of our lives. So I don't know how many angels you've seen. I don't know how many experiences you've had of divine encounters. But what I want to suggest is, is if you've ever had that experience where suddenly you felt like, oh, wait, I'm not the center of the world. I'm a part of something amazing. Just what an amazing moment this was. We have them in fleeting ways, right? We have them in fleeting moments. But when we experience them, we suddenly are not something singular and it's self-important in the midst of everything. Suddenly, we're a part of everything. We suddenly feel this ease and lightness of being. So what I want to suggest, the second thing about these stories is that they come to remind us that this kind of turning things upside down, this kind of interruption is always waiting to happen. Somebody said this, that enlightenment is totally accidental. But the goal is to practice enough so that accidents become normal. So that becoming accidental becomes the way of our lives. That's really, I talk about spiritual practice in here all the time, and I think some of you just think it's just kind of a phrase that I toss around out there. Every now and then somebody will call me or email me or, or, or text me and say, you know, I did that thing you talked about. It was amazing. <laughs> I decided not to get mad at the guy that cut me off. I started asking, I wonder about him what I don't know about myself. I wonder what I could learn if I just paid attention more to what's going on. What about me is in all of this that I'm ignoring how many times we have these chances to take our own story out of the picture and see what the larger story is when we meet with somebody else, when we encounter something difficult. So there's a story about a busload of kids. They're going on a field trip. And the bus driver is up the front. They've been driving about five, ten minutes into this field trip when all of a sudden one of the little kids comes up with a baggie filled with perfectly round peanuts and says, here, would you like a snack? And gives him the peanuts. And he says, all right, well, thanks. 
I guess this was pre-COVID, so he wasn't so worried about, you know, the anxiety around germs and such. But he, he, was, he saw they'd been packed and they were nice and clean, so he ate a couple of the peanuts and he was enjoying the drive. And about five minutes later, another kid came up with their little baggie filled with peanuts, offered them to the bus driver. When the third girl came up and started to offer him her peanuts, he said, wait, 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 you all don't need to be giving me all of your snacks and then the girl said, oh, no, no, sir, that's okay. We lick all the chocolate off first, and then we give you the peanuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> fun story, but, the rea- but I want to think about with you, what is it that we, don't, that we don't clear off, that we don't make space for, that we don't let go of, that we don't peel away, that is keeping us from experiencing the depth of our story? And by that, I mean the breadth of our story, not simply, you know, I need to focus more on fixing this. I need to focus more on doing this better. I need to focus more on being this way. Because all of those things are very much about thinking about self. It's hard for angels to show up when we're just all covered in our self stories. You get that? You get that strange M&M's metaphor? (laughs) When we can't shed some of these outer colors, outer images, outer masks, what happens is we're living out of those things. I'm not good enough. I should be more of this. I should be that. I'm not achieving what I could achieve. I'm I'm sick, and I identify. I'm just, I'm this sick person, or I've got these problems. We identify with these outer shells when in reality we're a part of something much larger. We're like the wave in the ocean who's trying to define itself as a wave and doesn't realize it's just the ocean. So how do we get those fleeting experiences of where, where we can experience being a part of the ocean? What's this next image that I have up here? Ah, one of my favorite. Anybody in here see, the, see Godot, watch Godot, see the play, read the, the play? You should go back and read it. If you haven't read it, go read it. I love Godot for its irony, right? Because there these two friends are waiting for Godot to show up because they've heard all about Godot and they know all about Godot showing up. Everything else shows up, right? They they meet all sorts of other encounters, but Godot doesn't seem to show up until finally it just kind of ends and they never seem to find Godot. Trust the wait. Embrace the uncertainty. Enjoy the beauty of becoming because when nothing, is certain, un, when nothing is certain, everything is possible. The real challenge for us in these stories is to recognize that enlightenment comes by accident. But we have to practice being ready for accidents. We have to practice being accident prone. And the way that happens is by learning how to pay more attention to these stories we keep telling ourselves or that we tell ourselves in the world. All of them are important. We try to stop things. We try to prevent injustice. We try to deal with it. But they're all still just stories that everybody else is identifying with. And the larger story is about this connective reality of love at the depth of our being. And what can that mean when we're reaching out to others, when we're connected with others? The small self becomes so central that it loses its sense of being and it loses being a part of the larger picture of God or the larger picture of what's sacred in our reality. Now, I have this experience myself all the time. Not as much now that I've been with you guys for nine years, eight, nine years. I'm usually pretty vulnerable about the anxieties I experience about being in front of people. For years and years and years, I used to tell myself this will never work. And then I get up here on Sunday and I do it. And then I go home and I go, it didn't work. <laughs> right? I mean, and I've told you that. That's been kind of my own narrative for years. The psychologist back in seminary said, you should probably do like more of a desk job. Don't be a preacher in front of people. You're not going to work real well in front of people. Your, your, your ego's a little fragile. And of course, being the kid that I grew up in, the family system that I grew up with, some of you all, most of you all know about, and the way in which I addressed my own problems over the years by kind of facing the fears more daringly than, than, than in a smart, curious way, but still. Over the years, I've sort of just decided, well, I'll just stand in the midst of the fire and see what happens. And I don't usually go away with it, with that sense of, oh, yeah, it's all good. No, I still went away with it like, oh, that was terrible. It still tore it apart. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized, you know what? If the shell gets thin enough, it starts to fall away. 
And if I'm smart enough and gentle enough with myself, kind enough with myself to say, that's okay, Tom, just let it go, then that shell will fall all the way away, and I'll find out, oh, there was this whole bigger thing. So a number of years ago, I got a job, because I was doing storytelling before I came in here to do this again, you know, nine years ago, and I was doing storytelling this time of year in South Lake. Y'all been to South Lake? Christmas, the decorations in the main square, it's gorgeous. It's the most beautiful display of consumerism you could find anywhere. I mean, it really is a great story. You need this, you want that, you'll be better if you just have this stuff. They'll be better if they have it. You make sure you buy it for them too. It's just a beautiful place. And in the midst of this wonderful square, they decided to put the nativity story one year. So they were going to have it, each of those little, those little um, uh, uh, bandstands, you know, they were going to have a, a scene from the nativity. There would be the sheep over here. There would be the wise men over here. There would be Mary and Joseph over here. And they needed a storyteller to go from scene to scene to tell the crowd of, I don't know, several thousand people to come into those crowds at different times of that evening and share the story of what was happening. And so Jacob the wise was hired to be the storyteller. And I wore this beautiful tunic that they had made, these amazing costumes. It was like done by the Bass Hall. It was just a gorgeous silk, beautifully colored, multi-layered tunic and costume and turban. And, and I would go from scene to scene. And I was with the sheep. And now it was, it was freezing cold. And they had these wonderful heaters, you know, these great big sort of jet engine-like heaters. You know, they blew like these big jet engine flames, you know. So they had them kind of at the edge outside of the area where you stand and where you're standing with the crowd so that, you know, you could feel the warmth. And so the crowd kind of pressed in. And as I was telling the story about the angel appearing to the sheep, little did I know that the back of my tunic had caught on fire. And as I was telling my story, the people I was telling to seemed a little panicked. And I couldn't understand why there would be a panic in the story that I was telling. So I tried to adjust my story by saying, no, they weren't afraid of the angel. The angel of the Lord was kind and gentle. And they, and they still were looking really scared until finally someone said, you're on fire. And at first I wanted to go, I know, I know. But then I started really feeling kind of the warmth and the heat. And somebody behind me started slapping my back. And before I know it, it was just chaos. And I actually wore the costume home, showed it to Linda, and was like, they're not going to be happy with you with this costume. But, you know, it was unavoidable. And, of course, I left realizing that every time I went to the, you know, I still had two other places. And when I went there, they would see that. And then the thing that people would say was, oh, you were the guy that caught on fire. And they weren't listening to the story at all. At that point, I was the guy that caught on fire, the guy that wasn't paying attention, the guy that got too close to the flame and caught on fire, and the guy that after that just had just screwed up the whole experience. And it, the only thing going to be memorable was just how bad it was. And so for years, I literally lived with this sort of sense of shame that I really screwed that evening up. I mean, I had this chance to be this amazing performance, and I literally kind of screwed up the whole thing. And then a, a few years back, I was sitting down with a friend who lived out in that, lives out in that area, and they were telling me the story of this guy that that came out to did this, he didn't know it was me, and he was telling me the story about this guy that, that, that he remembered as a kid watching and seeing do this performance when he caught on fire. And I was just kind of listening, going like, all right, let me, hear this, let me hear the cracks, let me hear the jokes about it, you know. And he said, you know what was amazing was how that guy kept telling his story. Even when he was on fire, he just engaged more in the story. And it was almost for a moment there like I wasn't noticing the flame behind him. I was still caught up in the story. I kept marveling, how can someone tell a story while they're on fire? He said, everybody I was around with, we still remember that guy and how well he kept telling the story even though he was on fire. That's not how I saw it, right? How do we tell our stories and then discover? Think about your own story where you've discovered, oh, I had it wrong all along. I had it wrong all along. I was thinking about this, and in fact, it's much bigger. And at the bottom line is, I'm loved. I just don't accept it for myself sometimes. We all are, and we're all part of this oneness that's grounded in this love. That's the challenge that I think we get to have at, at, at Advent, is to experience the way in which angels aren't beings that come and open things up. They're here all the time waiting for us to open up.
waiting for us to peel back the shell and to experience what's going on fully in all of our incompleteness, in all of our awkwardness, in all of our seemingly limited stories to begin to pay attention more with kindness. This last, this last quote here, I think this is the one. Every minute of every hour of every day, you are making the world. I love that. Every minute of every hour of every day, you are making the world. Just as you are making yourself, and you might as well do it with generosity and kindness and style. Now, here's the thing. You might as well do that with yourself. You might as well show a little kindness to yourself as well. We operate out of these narratives oftentimes that we think if we're just kind enough out there, then kindness will be here too. It starts with us. The angels appear to us so that we might reflect that to others. As the band comes up, I'm going to tell you this one last little short story about Ixok Perlman. I, I hadn't heard it before, and I heard it the other day, and I thought it was an amazing story, and we'll send ourselves into the music with this one. Ixok Perlman, as you know, was an amazing uh, uh, violinist, a, a concert violinist, just a fantastic, amazing artist. He was also crippled with polio. I mean, he suffered from polio as a child, so when he would come out on the stage, he often came out with his crutches. He would take them off. He would, as he sat down, then he would take off the violin, get all settled, and he would perform. And in one performance where he was performing at the Lincoln Center in New York, it was in 1997, I think, or 95, he was performing, and as he started into this performance with the, orc, with, the con with the symphony, he hit a string and it just popped. And it was an audible pop. Everybody could see the string pop, could hear the string pop. He had to stop. There was a little bit of an audible gasp in the crowd, and then silence thinking maybe he'd have to get up, put on the crutches, you know, make his way back out, or somebody would have to come out with a new violin. But as we know, these Stradivarius violins, you don't just have a lot of them sitting around. So instead, he kind of pulled the string free, looked at the conductor, and then motioned for him to start again. And then what happened next, the audience spoke of it as an amazing, miraculous, profound experience as he seemed to lean into the performance with even more intentionality. And it was clear for those who could hear that he literally was adap adapting his playing without that string to what was written on the page. And he just passionately leaned into it all the more. After it was over, the crowd was stunned. There was actually a moment of silence before there was just this universal, everybody jumped up to applause. And then he quickly raised his bow and he settled everybody down and he had them sit down as he was seated and he turned to the crowd. And this is what he said. He looked at the crowd and he said, sometimes it is the artist's challenge. And by that, I think he was meaning everybody. But he said, sometimes it is the artist's challenge to see what kind of music can be made with what we have left. Is the season stop making sense? Put out those fires and always brace yourself. Give me the strength to hold together. Shine down on me.
So, let's stand for our blessing. It's really what this season's all about. Advent is this practice, practice for the, to be accidental prone so that we can realize that the, all of Christmas is about coming home. It's all about coming home and reminding everybody else we're home. We're all part of each other's home. So, go in pieces as we go about the week. New ideas have been mended, whereas old ideas have been upended, and yet we travel together, even as we unravel together, but we are pieces together. So go into the world in pieces. Amen. <laughs>